the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Yes, indeedy. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another edition of The Bible Live. We are going to continue forward right now in through the book of Joshua. We finished up Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the five uh, books of Moses, the Pentateuch of the Hebrew Scriptures. And we have read the Gospels of Matthew and Mark in the New Testament. We uh, That's how we do it. We we start at the beginning, and we we make our way through both of the Testaments, kind of bouncing back and forth uh, uh, between them. We read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, then we went to Matthew, then uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy, then we read Mark, and now we're back in the books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, these Three books that uh, take per- take place in a in a specific period of time. They are uh, they they take place. I guess in the in the essentially the same period of time. The book of Joshua covers about, I, if I remember correctly, Jacob is here with me, and he'll he'll correct me if I'm wrong, won't you? I mean, uh, I may correct you even if you're right. Oh, <laughs> you may correct me even if I'm right. He says I, I didn't have you. Can you hear me okay? Now now I think we can hear you now. Uh, I know I can barely hear myself. Well. You've got those head, silly headphones on, so take those off, and I bet you hear you. Well, probably. Uh, Can you hear me, though? Yeah, I hear you just okay. fine. 
Push well, that. that's not... Uh, Sophie, if I do it anymore, I'll be French kissing. I know. That's how... <laughs> get that microphone in there. Well, anyway, we uh, uh, we covered... The book of Joshua covers a period... Uh, my understanding is okay, it covers good, a, a period of something like... Uh, that's a period something like... Uh, let me see... Um, 25 years or so, because the, there's seven years of active, uh, full-on, head-to-head battle uh, with the as the people of Israel go back into uh, the Promised Land, and they're, they're beginning with the Battle of Jericho, which I know you want to talk about tonight, and I, I, I'm kind of fascinated by the, the theme of Jericho. Uh, Jesus goes to Jericho in the New Testament. He, you know that song? I love that song. Can you sing that song? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Yeah, that's a nice one. Yeah, yeah. Jericho and the walls came crumbling down. Yeah, we got it. But uh, um, so we, we're going to look at Jericho a little bit more tonight. But also, uh, there were seven or eight years of battle, and there was very interesting uh, the battle strategy. I think they they took the northern uh, cities, five northern cities first, and then they went and and. Uh, uh, fought and battled against the South. I, my understanding, Jacob, is that even in West Point, people still study the battle, battle strategy that Jacob used in dividing, con- divide and conquer. The idea of uh, that's at least been I've been told that that uh, the battle strategy was brilliant. And so, did they also circumcise all the recruits just for the attacker? I su- I suspect they do. Don't you? Th- I, that's don't know. I don't true. know. Well, in, <laughs> anyway. Uh, that would so, no, I won't go there. No, <laughs> I was going to. I was kind of giving it some thought. Um, so we have that seven or eight years, and and then the rest of that time, seventeen years or so, was uh, kind of a. I don't want to call it mop up, but it was kind of each of the tribes then was left with the challenge to clear out their own particular region or state or district with the allotment that they gave that they received, and then after the time of Joshua, you go to this period of time of, with the judges about three hundred, I think if I remember correctly, around three hundred twenty-five years that. Uh, Starting with um, uh, Caleb's nephew, I think it was the first uh, uh, of the judges. These twelve, eleven men, one woman, who rose up to lead the people of Israel during this time of uh, this period. They didn't have a king. They didn't have a strong central government, and so the, it was a lot of. It was a different leader, different tribes that would rise up at a given moment to lead the people to. As they would try to, uh, uh, they would come come under uh, attack. They would be being persecuted and tormented by foreign uh, enemies uh, and some from within. And God would raise up a leader to liberate them during this period of time. And then you go from, uh, and the little book of uh, Ruth, which takes place during the time of the judges, which is very interesting because it was a very troubled, difficult time. And we'll talk all about that later. But uh, then you have this beautiful little love story cast right there in the time of the judges. And, uh, and, and not only just a love story, but they have this 
this hope, this idea that the redemption process is still in march, even though they've had trouble, difficulties, and battles, and failures of all kinds, God is still carrying out his promise to bring out the Messiah, bring out the Redeemer, and we see that uh, clearly in the uh, the book of Ruth, as this little Moabitess uh, gal uh, marries into uh, marries uh, Boaz, and marries into the lineage of Jesus the Messiah later on. So it's a very interesting journey we have before us. So, But that's where we are. We're looking tonight at Joshua chapters 6 through 24. And uh, Jacob, what, is, what is, overall, the book of Joshua, I, I put it down as kind of a, as a military, kind of a military book and, and his, oh, the conquering, the, the yeah. coming back into the promised land and sure. so on. Um, it, 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 is that how the book of Joshua is seen generally? Is, it, is there anything remarkable about the book of Joshua from, oh, the, from the Hebrew point of view? There's something extraordinary about really? it. Oh, yeah. In fact, I promised last week something that has not been talked about, and I'll go so far as to say probably... Um, uh, and I hate to say this, but probably in the Christian world, I'm going to say well into the 90 percentile are not familiar with what we're going to share tonight. All right. Well, then that, that's always kind of a. But may I start off with a question thing. to you? Uh, okay, I'll try it. Uh, yes. Okay. Hey, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that's a joke. That's a joke, John. Don't get excited. His name's not Lou, and I didn't have it. go nuts. Okay. Um, so. Now, we know that when they come to Jericho, Mm -hmm. there's a system that God has commanded for uh, making the walls fall down, right? Uh Yes. Okay. In other words, uh, he said march around seven days uh, or Uh, six six, days, days. march around in silence uh, around. And then on the seventh day, Uh, you march around seven seven times. And on the last time, you shout. Something like that. Something that's not... Not bad, not bad. That's that's close enough for government work. Um, the uh, but my question is: That's what is, this is. Is government why? Work. Why that? Stop and think. Why would God say do the battle this way? Now this is a question I'm presenting. Now we got a whole list of beautiful questions that you and your yeah, family yeah. put together. Well, this was not one of them. This is so not I'll, one of them. And this is the segue to what I'm hoping to get to, but I'm not going to answer right away. Uh, but I am going to do this. I'm going to say, ask yourself, God at Jericho says, do it this way, and he gives the prescription. And the question that we should ask ourselves, why? Now, does it have something to do with a specific characteristic of this particular city? It's a great walled city, the city of Jericho. A, is, they say the wall around it was 90 feet. It was very thick, sure. Uh, 30, uh, well, it was three chariots could go around it side by side, I heard. And you know like the that. walls didn't actually just fall into rubble. You know that, right? Right. They fell straight down. Inward or straight down? Okay. Straight down, yeah. And so they were kind of just collapsed into the ground. Now, if you're a non-religious person, you can say, well, the Jews had plenty of time. They went down there and dug a bunch of tunnels under the wall, and then the walls fell down. Never heard that. That's a practical idea, Uh right? Mm -hmm. But if we're going to take what the text says, and God says, I want you to do it exactly how I'm telling you. 
And the question that we should ask ourselves is why. So did your answer, the answer then has something to do with the physics or the geography of the thing? Of the No. Okay, I just wonder. But I will tell you this. The question that we should ask ourselves, why? Why this city? Why this thing that God is saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, as we go on, I'm going to give some people a chance to think about it and call in if they like. Well, maybe Jerry is going to give us the right answer Jerry since his is name is Jerry. Yes, and he's backed up by Ralph and It's Lou. probably his real name is Jericho, and they oh, call him Jerry. I hope his name is not Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I doubt that it is either, but I was just making I something up. Hi, Jerry. Good to talk with you. Jericho here. No, it's not. In this <laughs> All right. I was just kidding. But anyway, yeah. I, 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 uh, How are you I'm, doing? It's been a while. Perfect timing. We're doing well, Jerry. Thanks for calling in. We're uh, looking forward to what you have to say. I, mean, I remember, yeah, it's been a while since we talked, but you always had some really great ideas and great thoughts on, on the scriptures here. So, Three little areas that I want to suggest maybe in this part of the discussion I go to, but uh, it's interesting that Henry Groover became friends with Ron Wyatt. And uh, Ron Wyatt had taken him a few different places, including Jericho. These uh, Wyatt was the explorer, the archaeologist, yeah. the one who, who yes. journeyed to many of the places in the in the uh, uh, in that part of the world, in the Middle East. Yeah. Also found the, the Ark of the Covenant and had found that the blood of Jesus yes. had one male chromosome and twenty three female chromosomes, and it is verified by three different labs, and it's 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 verified by some experts. In public, yeah, so we've had. I've actually had uh, one of them. no, neither one of them. There was a lawyer fellow named Black or something like that. But mm-hmm. a, a, a member of kind of the, that team of uh, we've had them in the city and had them speaking to some groups and so on. Yeah, it's an astounding time in which we live. People are discovering things and exploring things. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, see, he was t- took. Uh, Groover, uh, Henry Groover, mm-hmm. to Jericho, and he told Groover, he said, uh, he said the, the wall was actually about wide enough for 16 chariots, and number one, and he said that, that the part of the wall that was there by the major gate was where Rahab's uh, family and all of them lived, and on, right across the way where, where the gate was open on the other side, it was pushed down into the ground, all the way down to the ground. Uh-huh. And apparently, the implication was that some angels said, okay, you did it. But hands on it, and it goes down. Uh-huh. But that was it, because they found the gates, uh, the gate uh, hinges and everything on the other side of uh, that, that same way. Huh. So, yeah. yeah, so that was kind of fascinating. And for a fact, obviously, Ron Wyatt's, uh, the thing he's been doing was done, and he did apparently find the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, Where, where did he find the Ark of the Covenant? Well, it was the, the story was that uh, he and his sons had gone different places. You know, among the places they'd gone, they'd gone to uh, the real Mount Sinai, uh, where they were captured by, uh, by the uh, Saudis for a while and accused of being spies. And the guy said, "Well, what spies come from Arkansas?" <laughs> he said, <laughs> and they, "They were finally let go." But uh, he and his sons also went to the uh, Gulf of Aqaba, the Red Sea. And did some underwater exploration and did video, and they found uh, Egyptian chariot wheels and chariot bodies and horse bones and human bones and tools and different things like that, all in that water encrusted with limestone, except for one chariot wheel, which was gold-covered chariot wheel. But they wouldn't touch it because they knew it was wood on the inside and it would ruin, so they just left it there. 
but uh, anyway, th- that was a part of it. So while Ron White was there, <clears throat> he he got sunburned. He went to Jerusalem, and he was uh, went to the Garden Tomb areas to you know look around and, and visit whatever. And he happened to meet the director of antiquities in in the garden. And uh, the guy would be, they got to conversing one to another, and, and the guy said, "Well, maybe you'd be interested in doing digs." And usually, it's not it's not usually that way. Jacob would be probably surely aware that the, the Jews in Jerusalem are not necessarily open to just anybody coming in there and talking with them about important things to them. But he did. He opened himself to the conversation, and so. Um, Ron White and he were walking around the outside, and Ron White said, this is not my background. I've never had any experience like this in my life. I'm not of that, that kind of uh, religious background or anything of that nature. But he said, I was, we were walking along down a lower level, and he said, my left arm went straight out, pointed uh, over to the, to the left there. And he said, out of my mouth came the words, that's Jeremiah's grotto. That's, uh, that's where the Ark of the Covenant and the implements are buried. Ron himself said this or the other? Yeah, no, Ron said it himself. Uh-huh. And the guy said, well, maybe you'd like to participate. He said, well, wait, because I don't know enough about it. And I also have to go back. He's a respiratory therapist. He said, I've got to go back and make some money. Uh-huh. And so he ends up going back. And then he said, I need to study this subject because I don't know enough about it. So he studied about a year, however long it was before he came back. And he was prepared to do so. And eventually he did find it. Now, what was interesting about the, the things, they first found a Roman road and some of these things, because of Titus, apparently, because of Titus uh, setting up siege walls and such, they covered up some of the, 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 the roads and things of that nature. But they did find a road across there that had uh, a, a, a three cross holes in it, three square cross holes. They were about 23, 24 inches deep. And, uh, and right in the middle one was kind of moved to the front, and it had a crack in the corner of it. But they found earthquake cracks on the walls behind it, and there were also cutouts in the wall where they apparently put the plaques of the, what the criminals had done supposedly the, upon that. So uh, he was he had done some digging and, and finally did locate the, the chamber. And when he got into that chamber, he had to crawl across some animal skins and rocks and things like that. It was very, very close fit. And he looked in there, and there was a black sarcophagus that has cracked across the top with part of a piece that slid back. And uh, he shined light in there and, 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 you know, found it was gold. Eventually, he did find out it was the Ark of the Covenant. And what was peculiar about it was the fact that the uh, there was a crack above. He said, well, maybe there's something correlated here. He took his a ruler, a metal long ruler, and broke the end off of it so it didn't have that little tab on it, and slid it down about 20 feet down by the crack that was in the middle hole where the crucifixion of Jesus would be because the thief was on the right one was on the left. And slid it down, and it came out directly, 20 feet down, directly right through that crack that was in the ceiling. And there were also blood stains. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he took the blood stains, and you know the story about that when he took them and they had them analyzed. Uh, whenever he did that, but he had right. them analyzed, and one male chromosome, 23 female chromosomes. Well, if so, if and our listeners wanted to to check if this yeah go google it or whatever is there a book or is there a a, a source that you could uh, give a, us that they could look at these this information there's a lot on the, there's a lot on the internet and also uh, uh Ruger's testimony or even uh what is it, rude um, rude awakening the guy Jerry, uh, may, Jerry may I interrupt you and ask a question sure sure okay what uh, what date was this it was in the 80s, uh, 
somewhere in 80, possibly 80, early 82. I actually no. have seen, and to answer Soapy's question, yeah, you can Google it, and there's a whole series of these Ron Wyatt uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, programs you can watch, and and of course, as you're well, Jerry, and obviously you you like the gentleman, and I, I'm not in any way saying he's not accurate, but uh, there's a whole series of them, and he claims he discovered several things, and indeed he may have. But the reason I ask you about where he found it and the date is this: uh, there was uh, on top uh, uh, on top of where the the mosque is. About 100 feet, because it's not built exactly where the temple was, 100 feet to the west, I believe, was where Mm -hmm. the base, the foundation of the temple was. Well, about 40, 50 feet down under the dirt, because that much dirt accumulated over the centuries, there was a stone trap door. And uh, IDF, with a group of rabbis, went up there in, uh, let's see, late 1980s. And they opened up the stone door, and it was inside of the mountain. There mm-hmm. was a carved staircase inside of the mountain. And mm-hmm. they went down there, and they sent the rabbis in. And this is a, a, sounds humorous, but this is a very Jewish way of saying it. Uh, they did not let the IDF, the soldiers, go down there, but they sent a couple of rabbis in. When the rabbis came out, because uh, it led to a chamber. Yeah. And uh, so they said to the rabbis, and I heard this with my own ears, so yeah. it's not secondhand. The one rabbi that went down there, they asked him, did you find the ark? And he said, I have been asked by the state of Israel to not say if we found the ark. I yeah. can only tell you I'm not looking for it no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard, I heard that quotation, I think, some time ago. Yeah, well, so and the reason I say I wonder this, if these two events were related. Well, I don't know, perhaps. <laughs> but I do know this. Now, in the Christian world, in America, etc., some of that just was not talked about very much. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, or if it was, I would say that, it, or if it was, it was always received with uh, a little skepticism about. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Ron Wyatt and others that do this sort of thing, they're used to that. They're well, they're ignored or you know, my, a lot of skepticism. The point is, this was the predecessor of nine eleven. This is one reason why 9-11 happened. Hmm. The Muslim world is very familiar with what the Jews supposedly found. And -hmm. what they are now looking for, they've got everything remade, and they plan fully on rebuilding the temple. They can't do that without the ark. And I've heard that the last thing they're presently looking for is the breastplate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, if it wants to be handy, let him find the breastplate. We'll all be grateful to him. But, uh, no, they, but, they found some of the stones, I think, uh, uh, the, the shoulder, things like that, I think, as well. Well, uh, that, would mean, that would mean that it's been disassembled. But yeah. anyway, if it is or isn't, I guess we'll find out. But what I'm saying is that the Muslim world is very well aware of this. Hmm. And they were very concerned about it because if the Jews got their hands on the ark again, that's not good foreboding for the Muslim world. Mm-hmm. And then after that, did Jerry, do you remember about 10 years ago, the wall, the whaling wall, they call it wall, the Jews gathered, there was water running out of the wall. Do you recall that at all? I don't. I might have heard something, but I don't remember anything about it particularly. Uh-huh. Well, just, now, the, first, and there is something in one of the prophets about water will run out of the wall. But what's fascinating is what they were really doing up inside of the mosque, the Muslim mosque up there. They were actually, 
uh, digging and using water, trying to go from inside the mosque down to find, get to where that ark was. Hmm. Now, mm-hmm. if the Bible's true, and let's say it is, then nobody yep. can handle that ark but the Levites. Yeah. Okay? And Ron, Ron Wyatt made, made a, a claim that, I mean, it suggested this, that if somebody is is covered by the blood of Jesus, wow. uh, then that is the only as caveat to that to that fact, because if you if you are His own and you're covered, and the Father says, "Okay, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to zap you for certain things," that is a is a caveat. Well, that may be a caveat. I I can't comment on that, positive or negative, but I wouldn't risk myself on that. (laughs) I'm just saying me personally. Uh, But I do know that they've actually got a a list going, and they've tracked down all the original tribes of the Levites everywhere in the world the Jews have. And they actually have the list. And they've got all the things rebuilt and reassembled, supposedly to rebuild the third temple. Um, but uh, there's, there's, of course, there's some wow. political problems. But the thing they're messing last oh, year, political uh, politics get in the way a little yeah. bit, don't they? Then? But you know, and uh, and the problem is they say the mosque is what they call in Israel nine mm. and a half months pregnant, mm-hmm. and actually the the Jews have built a retaining wall there because they know at the back of that mosque if the dirt comes out that mosque is tumbling down. Mm. If it comes tumbling down, what's going to happen is they're going to blame Jews for course, it, the Israel. Yeah. So Israel's sure. actually building this retaining wall and trying to keep it from collapsing because, you know, that's not a good thing. It's going to create a lot of problems. But I don't know. But I don't know, Jerry. You may be right. I won't take a position on that one way or the other. But I know that uh, it seems to me that a Levite must be the one to carry it. But I do know that uh, from that was about 10 years ago. And one of them, but I was going to say inside the mosque, they were digging and using water trying to go down through the mountain to get to that ark. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are out of time in this segment. Jerry, I appreciate you calling. Yeah, been Jerry, I enjoyed it. Call again. Topic. Uh, we're going to move from that to, and it, this is related to the city of Jericho, believe it or not. So we'll come back and talk about how Jericho fits into this idea uh, that we've heard tonight about uh, the Arabs and, and uh, the Promised Land. 340-9585. Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 20 Five years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to drshelton.com or call 590-7878. If you lease office, retail, or warehouse space for your business, the last thing you want to do is overpay the landlord. But it happens every day. Hi, I'm Scott McMurray and president of Bottom Line Realty Advisors. We work with business people who want an effective strategy for their next real estate decision. Whether leasing or buying, it affects your bottom line. Your landlord has representation and you should too. Even if you're a good tenant with no plans to move at all, you're the most vulnerable to getting a really bad deal. We only represent our clients, never landlords, so we have no conflict of interest. We stay on your side. Call me, Scott McMurrian, at 210-535-7800, and we'll negotiate from a position of strength. BottomLineRealtyAdvisors.com Bottom Line Realty Advisors We get the landlord off your bottom line 
Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Justin Timberlake's new album, Man of the Woods, which received a post-Super Bowl halftime show sales bump, showcases some new sides of the former NSYNC member. The songs fuse funk, pop, rock, soul, and even country elements, and talk lovingly about his wife and his young son. I brag about you to anyone outside, but I'm a man of the woods, it's my pride. Despite some terrific lyrics about marriage, faithfulness, and fatherhood, though, Timberlake still can't resist indulging his inner bad boy on some tracks. And that includes some questionable language and sexually explicit lyrics. So I'll give Man of the Woods a two and a half out of five for family friendliness. For the full review, visit us at PluggedIn.com radio. I'm Bob Olszewski for Focus on the Families Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. I believe in six days at a rest. God is good. I do confess You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Made me believe. That's right. Listen, we are back on the Bible Live, and we've got a very, very special guest. I'm excited to hear from him. Hadn't talked to him in a good long while, Uh and he's, uh, gosh, I bet he's not even a little boy anymore. He's getting to be a young man now. I think. Still a boy. This is (laughs) okay, Grandpa. Uh, There you go. Tabin is on the air with us. Tabin, are you there? Let me see if I can get him over here. Tabin, are you on the air with us? Yes. Good uh, to hear from you, young man. Seven. Okay, so the audience knows who you are. And what relationship are you to me? I'm actually uh, your grandson. Well, congratulations. I, that's so courageous of you to admit that uh, publicly, Tavin. I, I, I'm, I'm amazed. And so you remember, Soapy's here with me. You met Soapy before, remember? Sure. Yes. Yeah. His Apache Indian uncle. I'm his honorary uncle from... Um, the Apache tribe. Well, and Tavin, let me ask you a question here. Uh, so mm-hmm. the, they know a little bit about you. Uh, how old are you? I'm 11. 11. Uh, when was your 11th birthday? September 29th. Ah. Well, so, you're, uh, and you go to uh, a Jewish school, right? Yes. Yes. And you're, uh, you do very well in Hebrew, I'm told. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shy too. <laughs> uh, and, uh, well, you ask him point blank; he's got to tell the truth. Sure. That's good. So, Tavin, tonight we're going to talk as uh, about the we're talking about the book of Joshua. Mm-hmm. And in his school, of course, they study. You know, they have the rabbis that teach sure. literature and stuff. So, Rabbi, uh, do you have any question or something you'd like to add about the book of Joshua, Tavin? Or how about if I ask you a question? Me. 
yeah. <laughs> not me, Tavin. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. He wants to question you and and show the whole world how brilliant his grandson is, which I already know. So I'm 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 excited about this too. But no, we wanted to ask you a little bit of what you're learning about the uh, about the you know the Hebrew scriptures about Jericho about you know the book of Joshua about uh, the man Joshua maybe. So I don't know what question he has in mind. Well, but do you that, mind us asking you a question times? or two? Yeah, Tevin, before the walls mm-hmm. fell down at Jericho, do you recall how many times they had to circle the wall? Seven. Wow, very good. And how many priests had to blow horns? Do you remember that? Um, I actually don't. Okay, it's seven. The answer to everything is seven. <laughs> okay. Right. Now, wait. Uh, you, only seven of the priests had horns to blow? Uh-huh. And, what, and there was a shofar, right? There well, was a kind of horn. I was going to ask you, what's the name of that horn? Oh. <laughs> Never mind. What was the name of that horn, Kevin? A, a trumpet. <laughs> shofar. <laughs> shofar, okay. So, you got seven priests. They march seven times. And they blow the horn. with, And then they have a great big blast at the end. And that blast is the same blast that's done as the final blast on Yom Kippur. And then the walls came tumbling down. Is that about how you remember the story, Tavin? No, not really. Oh, gosh, tell us what you know It's different than me. Oh, I just don't remember the walls falling down. Did they? Uh, yeah, they went straight oh, down. That's... They didn't just collapse. They went down into the ground. Yeah, the walls tumbled. You know, there's an old song, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Yeah, it's it. That's the kind of the big. That's the big story at the end of it. This was a huge walled city that was very well protected and uh, very well defended. And they did this strange battle plan of marching. Around. They for six days before that they marched around the city one day in silence, and then on the seventh day they did what you just described seven times. And after the last time, they shouted and the trumpet sounded and the walls uh, fell. The walls and they were able to. That's the secret of they went in and had the battle and uh, defeated the great city of Jericho. But I think you have something in. Another kind of question well, in mind, right? I was right? just going to ask him, do you remember anything else that you could co- tell us about Jericho, Tavin? Um, um, Would Tavin know about Rahab? I don't really, I haven't really learned about Jericho yet, but. Oh. Well, um, so, uh, well, uh, you have uh, religious classes at your school, right? That were taught by a rabbi? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I heard that you do really well in those classes. Yes, I've got. Who'd you hear from? Well, I heard it from his mama. Okay. (laughs) And and once I spoke to that rabbi, and and what did you say, Tavin? I missed the last part of what you said. What? What did you just say? I I cut you off. What were you saying? I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. Well. Listen, Tav, I appreciate you calling in. And uh, sure, it, are you listening? Are you, are you all listening on the computer over there? Uh, yes, my mom is actually listening on the computer uh, while okay. I'm talking. Great. <laughs> well, uh, then I'll say hi to her. That's your mom, my daughter. And uh, I'm glad you all are listening. Is there anything else you want to add before we let you go, Tav? Um. I love you, Grandpa. <laughs> That's great. Oh, that did it all right hey, there. I invented a word, and uh, Tavin knows this word. So, Tavin, you know what word I invented, right? 
Yes. What, muchly. What, muchly. <laughs> so, I love you muchly too, Tam. Okay. <laughs> muchly more. Okay. Tam, good to hear from uh, you. Say hi to Mama, you, and uh, we're so glad. Calling. Y'all keep listening because he's going to talk about the, the the city of Jericho. He's yeah, going to bring listen. out some interesting facts. Uh, oh, Tam, you'll probably enjoy. Leave the computer on because what I'm going to share in the next few minutes is something that's spectacular and wonderful about Jericho. Okay. Okay. Shalom, my young friend. We'll talk bye to bye. you later. Bye bye. Thanks for calling. Okay. All right, that was fun. I like yeah. it. He he's is a, such a, a great kid. I, I, I yeah, he got uh, really last year. Actually, got the award for the highest grade in his Hebrew class. Yeah, that's all right. That's good. That's what you're for, Grandpa, is yeah. to brag on our grandkids. That's what we do, right? You know what you call that in Hebrew? No, Nakas. Nakas. Is that yeah? You know, it's a funny thing in Spain. Uh, we lived there for a number of years, and uh, they have a saying: if a guy starts bragging on himself, right. kind of being boastful, or sure. you know, they'll say, "What's wrong with you? Don't you have a grandmother?" Oh, that's cute. <laughs> que no tienes abuela? Ah, that's really cute. Uh, yeah, it is. Let's that's, the, to... that's the grandparents' job yeah, to brag on the kiddos. You know, yeah. I really like that. Yeah. So here's something interesting. Now, I know Soapy was looking up because I mentioned this. Story. Mm-hmm. Jericho. Now let's stop. I asked why, when they crossed over, why this prescription? God doesn't say do this in any other city, but just Jericho. So there's something really important about this first battle. And I suspect that part of the difference, part of the reason, uh-huh. Well, it's the first great city they're entering in. I mean, you know, it's 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 probably got a lot of it was a lot of significance to the people of that of Joshua, the people of that time. This is the first battle. It's a first, city dedicated to uh, the moon god. The moon god. The, that's the very meaning of the word uh-huh. uh, Jer- Jericho. Yeah, moon. And so, in people doing this, they're not really realizing this is a war between. The real God of the universe and the man-made moon God. And why this city has to go be attacked and why this prescription? Because God's handling this battle. So the very first city across the water, across into Israel, they come on is the city dedicated to the moon God. And, of course, we know in Islam Mm -hmm. today, Allah is the moon God. What a coincidence. Yeah. And even today, Jericho uh, in Israel is basically a Muslim city. And there's a big statue even today of the moon god there. Now, that's fascinating, isn't it? It is. It's very, I, I did not know the background of the word uh, Jericho, that it had that uh, that at its roots. The uh, thing that I, I remember, though, and I probably we want to put this, uh, the entire book of Joshua here in the context, because a lot of people are very... Um, a lot of people get kind of upset at any talk like war, any sense of idea of war and the people of Israel battling and doing war, going back into the promised land and so on. And we need to realize that this would have been predicted by God as far back as the book of Genesis, way back to, to the time of Abraham. Well, it was predicted that they, in the time after, I think he even gives a time of 400 years, that a time of judgment, the the judgment would be due on the peoples of that uh, of Canaan. Uh, th- there was idolatry. There was wickedness at a levels that are okay. terrific level, levels true. of. But let's walk. Let's go. They were ripe this. for judgment. They were. But the, so this. Let's take the first battle. 
the very first battle is got, is a war between, let's say, God mm-hmm, taking mm-hmm. his land back, Israel's gods, mm-hmm. uh, the deeds in Israel say this land belongs to God, and you've got only possession of mm-hmm. it. So, um, and the moon god, Jericho dedicated to the moon god. No, this is interesting. But God says, do it this way. So, there are, they, as you say, they march around mm-hmm. one time for six days, right? Yes. Then on the seventh day, seventh day. Six, they, six days in silence, I think, if I remember correctly, right? And then on the, on the seventh day, they march around seven, seven times. times. And the seven priests blow seven horns. Now... Where have you seen this story before? I've seen this story before. Hang on. Let me see. Okay. Seven times. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember seven times. Marching around. Are you talking about marching around the city like this? Yes. Is that what you're talking about? Okay. Well, I'm going to use this word. Let's kind of cut to the chase. Okay. Cut to the chase. Yep. So you got seven, 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 right? Aha. Uh-huh. And uh, when the walls come down, the last blast they give on the shofar is the big blast. Tuara. And uh, that is basically the same t- note that's sounded at the last of the ceremony on Yom Kippur. Okay. But why does that horn have to be sounded? And what else do they carry with them? Why, yes, Sophie, you're right. They carry the, the Ark. The Ark of the Tab- uh, Ark of so the Covenant. Said, yeah. As you said, talking to Jerry, it's about the Ark. Mm-hmm. Ah, it ties in here. So they carry the Ark. What's in the Ark? In the Ark. Well, let's just say the, the Word of God. How's that? Uh, okay, the, uh, the, the, the tablets. Okay, uh, the, the Word of God. Uh-huh. Now, where did that come from? Mount Sinai. Got it. And how did the people camp around Mount Sinai? How did they? Yes. And what kind of design? Oh, that that I don't know. A circle. A circle? Okay. They circled Mount Sinai. Okay. Uh Aha. And now they're going back and they're circling Jericho. So uh, work with me. Hold okay, on. Okay, I'm, I'm, so I'm imagining is, you. And what happened at Mount Sinai, God spoke. And between two and a half and three million people heard God speak. So this isn't a story where, like, uh, say, Muhammad got it or some Buddha got it. Go, what's one person that gets it? Mm-hmm. That's always a very dangerous thing. Uh-huh. In fact, if we didn't have Mount Sinai, we'd have exactly the same problem that other religions do because you only have Abraham telling you about it, which is one guy, and that's not reliable. Mount Sinai is something different. It gives you all the people heard it. Now, they're encircled. They circle Jericho. And God's word was what he said, and it was written on the tablets. So they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they're encircling Jericho and carrying God's word. Mm -hmm. This is a war between the real God and the moon God. Mm -hmm. And so then they blow the horn. But why the horn? What does the horn, the shofar, sound like? Something like that. And in Exodus 19, (laughs) it tells you. Uh Uh-huh. That God's voice sounds like the sound of a shofar. So what you've got is, picture this, from Mount Sinai, which is not in the land of Israel. That's essential to this. The reason, If it was in the land of Israel, people could say, well, the Torah, all that is for Jews only. It's not. It's not in Israel. And one of the uh, 
essential meanings is it was for the whole world. Mount Sinai is not is in not. Israel. Where God no. spoke is not in Israel. Mm-hmm. And that means since not in Israel, it's belonging to all. Of humanity. Yes. Of everybody, sure. Um, and so they come, they take God's word, his spoken word, mm-hmm. written, in the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. They take it from Mount Sinai to confront the moon god. Mm-hmm. Ah. Mm-hmm. And they and then they blow the horns. And the people in Jericho and the moon god hears the voice of God in those shofars. Mm-hmm. And they see the word of God. And God is saying, this is my land and I'm taking it back. And so you've got the exact same thing that's happening. And now in the Hebrew, and so you don't catch this so much in English, but in the Hebrew, the exact same words that are used for blowing the sound of the shofars is the exact same words that's used when God spoke it at Sinai. So you get that idea. So how do they carry the sound of God's voice from Mount Sinai mm-hmm. to Jericho? Mm-hmm was in the shofar. Through the shofar. And then they saw the word of God as, as the ark. And then the walls came down. And the moon god that had claimed jurisdiction over the land of Israel, the first battle, mm-hmm. it was defeated. Utterly um, de- destroyed, defeated. Sure. Now, <clears throat> beautiful. I, I had not, the details there that I had that? not known, is particularly as to why the circling, why the, uh, the the shofar, why the Ark of the Covenant, why the the silence and then and then there I can see the the drama. It was a dramatized. Uh, there was something being said, and I've always kind of I've always in my mind I've always thought that there must be some reason. There must be some. Surely now, now was this understood? Would you think this was clearly understood by uh, the? The people of that time did of did did Joshua they did they sure. did they get this imagery? Did they know what they were doing? Yes, because he's actually saying it, and what I'm telling you is not my words. Mm-hmm. This is basically written down history. Not your private theory, no, and you, no, no, you no, mean that would be ridiculous. Yeah, I, mean, I, I could never be that clever that I'd like to be. <laughs> so what you've got is God's word being put in the ark. The sound of God's voice is then carried in the shofar. Uh-huh. To confront the moon god. So when you've got this, the real god versus the man-made moon god. And so Jericho is the fortress that is the first yeah. city that defends Israel. It's the gateway to Canaan, yeah, actually. It was, that was why it was so fortified, yeah. is that it was there to protect. Sure. Uh, and so Joshua uses this as the entree to go right. on into uh, battle with the other five great cities in the north and, and so on. Uh, it, it, there's a lot to be said here. Uh, we haven't even talked about this little lady named uh, Rahab or Rahab. Well, wait, before we get there, let's yeah. finish this because there's more. Oh, sure, go, go. So what happens? Jericho, the moon god, dedicated to it's the city of the moon, mm-hmm. uh, and it's even today it's basically a Muslim city, mm-hmm. and there's a statue there of the moon god. Mm-hmm. So, God handles the very first battle. They hear the sound of God's voice, the shofars, boo, exactly in Exodus 19, what the Jews heard at Mount Sinai. So the Jericho people hear it. They see the word of God. So it has been carried from Mount Sinai to, to confront the moon god by the Jews. 
Now, Jericho, as we know, is defeated. Then, of course, we're going to go into the little city. I know you want to talk about Rahab, but just a moment. So we get to Ai. And Ai, a little tiny city, gets defeated. Why does it get defeated? Well, we're talking about... Well, Israel gets defeated by this tiny town called Ai. And I I was going to ask you, does that figure into why the... Does this... This background that you're giving us, does that figure into why the uh, the rule there uh, about doing war, uh, destroying you know the enemy, destroying them all, um, and not taking any uh, uh, the gold, the silver, the clothing, that it everything does. was to be... Actually, it does. It, does that figure in? Okay. Yes, but look at the first battle. God handled the first battle. That's why he gave the prescription on how to do it. It's God himself, his sound of his voice, the word itself. Mm-hmm. Now, the next one is a little tiny place. So God is not asking Israel to do a big thing like he did with Jericho. He said, I gave you a little place to get started, just a little one, AI. Now, you handle that, but you do it how I told you. I handled the big battle with their so-called God. Mm -hmm. Now, you handle this little one. But what do they do? They sin. And actually, since you mentioned they took the piece of gold, in the Hebrew it's called the, uh, the despicable thing. Well, gold's not despicable. It was an idol. It was a golden idol. And so that was the problem. So but so you got the first battle handled by God. And then they got, they gave him a little time so they could they could just take a little place. They didn't have to do a big fight like God did, just a little fight. But they sinned and took the idol. So you start getting this picture that the idea that it is a battle between as human beings go between obeying the real God and the false gods. And so the real God actually, they brought his sound of his voice in the shofar, his word. That's why the ark and the shofars are being blown and the walls came down. The moon God was defeated. And and in reality, in all fairness, even today the word Allah is really the moon God. Mm -hmm. And so after that, now God took care of that battle. The next one, a little tiny place. And I said, okay, now you guys do, but do the method. Do how I told you to do it. Don't sin. Well, we know that one of the fellows there, he did something, but he was attracted by the gold. And there seems to be a suggestion that gold maybe has some type of a memory. So even if you melted down the gold, it could bring back what was once imprinted on it, the idol. So, But the little tiny place was where they had a handle, and God mm-hmm. had already done the big battle for them. So when you start putting this thing in perspective and looking at it big and you start realizing they circled around Mount Sinai like they did Jericho. They mm-hmm. heard God's voice and they put God's voice into the shofar, you might say, and took it to Jericho. And then the people said, Jericho saw God's word. You start getting the picture? This is where you've heard it before. Th- that changes the story if you realize Yes, it. oh, and, and totally. And that's why I was asking the question uh, and I think your answer was clear there, that Joshua and the people, they recognized this. It was not, to us, it just seems like an odd battle arrangement exactly, that sure. God told them to do this, do that, and the other. And uh, <clears throat> Which also brings me, it's very interesting, uh, 
I knew uh, you'd find it interesting. Yeah. And, and I just want to help you out a little bit. Yes, did they recognize it? Of course they did. And besides that, though, the exact same words of God speaking as the sound of a shofar at Mount Sinai are those exact same words that's used when the priests blow the horn at Jericho. So you can't miss that similarity that those words are being shown again but carried by the Jews in the shofar. The exact same words. Well, I've also always wondered a little bit about the night before they went into the night before they crossed the Jordan and went over into Canaan and of course there's Jericho before this awaiting them they knew they were going to battle this was going to be uh, you know they it was going to be war and uh, interestingly God met Joshua the night before they went in and do you remember the story there? He, the, the captain of the Lord, the host of the Lord's army, sure. meets with him, uh, and he takes off his shoes. Uh, do you, if you remember sure. the, the, the detail there, and uh, some believe this was a pre-incarnate appearance of the uh, the Son of God, you know, the, the, the of the Messiah of Jesus. Some uh, they believe it for some for reasons, but whatever it was, I say God meets with with Joshua, and and you would think that he would give him battle plans. You would think that he would say, now, Joshua, put your archers over here, put your cavalry over here, bring your infantry up through the middle, and then flank them with your, you know, you'll just kind of give them, here's how we're going to do this show. Uh, but I've always, it's been amazing to me, I've always wondered, uh, he doesn't do that. He doesn't give him the, that battle plan. You know, even this, his words are, "This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night, uh, and, so that you can be faithful and careful to do what it says to do." In other words, the battle plan is God's word. It, that seems to be what, what. And I've always kind of wondered. So this, in a sense, it, to me in my mind, it kind of ties into what you're saying is that uh, the battle plan was going to be God's word. You obey it, then you'll be prosperous, and you'll be successful. That's right. And had they done, after God handled the first battle at Mm -hmm. Jericho, Mm -hmm. and the false god, the moon god, Mm -hmm. had they followed exactly what God, as you were saying, had prescribed, they wouldn't have had AI, they wouldn't have had all this segmentation and conquering and falling back in the land of Israel. Yeah, and and we'd learn the lesson of AI in a different way, we would learn. We would still learn the lesson about the importance of God's word and what. It, but we would learn it through obedience instead of uh, through a lesson of disobedience. In that, fact, I'm going to say something that's a difficult pill to swallow. Now, are you ready? I'm ready. I think. If the Jews had done exactly what God said, there would be nothing else in the Bible except the last book would have been the book of Joshua. There would have been a Torah and then the taking of the land. Had they not sinned, had they not done exactly what God said, there would be no more to the Bible than six books. Uh, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I had never thought of that idea. Uh, uh, because you know God's redemptive plan well, see, was bigger than that. I well, mean, no, was bigger you say, than you say that. But Jesus walked around <clears throat> preaching in. Uh, yeah, yeah. He went to Jericho. Yeah, for three years. Well, what did it? Was he just wasting his breath? What had? What would have happened if everybody said, "You know what? This guy Jesus, he's enlightened us. Well, let's do exactly what he says." Then. 
he, he, he would have been preaching unless it were meant to have something happen. So I'm going to suggest yeah. that he had everybody, let's say, believed him. Uh, and I'm going along with this idea. Okay. Yeah, everybody believed him. The crucifixion, the rest of it would not have had to happen. Because they would have all believed him. Exactly the same story had the Jews believed when they went into Israel and obeyed God's laws. Because otherwise, why is he walking around for three years? He's telling everybody right Very now. good questions, all of these. And, I, and they're not without answer, folks. Uh, these aren't just sort of made up. People ask these questions. People wonder about the redemptive plan of God, God working in time and space, in history, carrying out his redemptive plan. And, of course, uh, the people of Israel going back to the promised land with uh, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. That was all part of the bigger picture of God carrying out his redemptive plan for all of humanity. And so the the point is the time, the question that Jacob is asking is about the timing of it, the way it was going to take place, and um, I think we have some answers about that. Well, I and think I know that, we got some callers on hold. Yeah. Harold will be our first caller when we come back. It was meant to take place. God's redemptive plan was meant to be carried out in the context of of a fallen world. Uh, and so there's a timing to what God does in each of these uh, areas. Even the coming of Jesus, there was a time. 340 We'll be back. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Beautiful song. We'll, uh, we're back now. This is our final segment. We've been talking about the people of Israel now under the leadership of Joshua, whose name is uh, Yeshua, right? I mean, that's <laughs> interesting enough. Uh, the same name, uh, uh Jesus, uh, the Savior, uh, uh, later on we read about in the New Testament, what, with Joshua going into Canaan. We've talked about the, the meeting the night before with the captain of the Lord's host there and the battle instructions, this strange battle uh, strategy that the people followed. And Jacob has given us the understanding that, that they'd seen that before. They knew about that. It wasn't strange to them, and they knew what was going about. They were circling uh, Mount Sinai again in the trumpet and the and the shofar and the word of God and the tablets and so on with the Ark of the Covenant. So they saw the imagery. And they understood the plan. This is the first time I've ever. Well, I've always kind of wondered why they did it that way. And this is why last week I said I'm going to share something. I'm going to say that most <clears throat> Christians have never heard. Well, and and and, and it, see, this is why you guys. You, 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 Jewish men and women who love God and are studying that book, the Torah and and and, and the the Tanakh, you must teach it. You must share because it, we ask ourselves these questions, Jacob. We say, um, we say, for example, we ask ourselves, why don't why. Why did they do that? Yeah. Why did, did he march know I around was the not deal? on the air then, Soapy? I'm sorry? I was not on the air. Okay. Well, that all the better. That means I was on uh, by yes, my... The, the, John <laughs> put me back on. Thank okay. you, John. Uh, but, uh, but the point is that you, we can't be left 
to explain and understand these passages on our own. We can't. We need that Hebrew perspective. We need the language. Well, we need the culture. We need the tradition. In, in all fairness, the history. you can see the symbolism of the encirclement. And you can well, see sure. The of, the of course. But what makes it concrete is that in the Hebrew, the exact same words, the sound of God's voice, like a shofar, Exodus 19, is exactly the same words they use at Jericho. So it makes it united. So you got the symbolism sure. and the exact same words. So it's easy to understand. Yeah. I, I, but I and I get that, but you don't even really you didn't really have to go oh, there yeah. even to that That's extent right. because I oh I realized they circled Mount Sinai uh, there was a, I, you know I know the story of Sinai and we need you guys okay. our, so, our, yeah and they gave his word to those people at Mount Sinai now up until Mount Sinai there were the Jews and the mixed multitude uh-huh. But afterwards, the mixed multitude was no longer there. They were, you might say, immediately grafted in. And when they inherited the land, they inherited they became part the of tribes. Israel. Yes, they're no longer identified uh-huh. as a mixed multitude. And we're being told that uh, there's some callers, and the first one should be Harold. All right, let's go get Harold. We, I'm enjoying talking with. What line is Harold on there, John? All right, let's go get Harold. Bring him up, so I don't want to keep him waiting. He'll, if, if I know Harold, if we keep him waiting too long, he'll forget what he was going to say. Well, that's a, that's about the truth. I was getting dizzy <laughs> going around and around there for a little bit. But uh, you know, the two stories, uh, you know, the story of uh, Jericho and the story of uh, that little place. I.e., they had to fight. Yeah, I.e., it kind of I.e. reminds me of the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> Where the, where Jericho, God was there and he took care of everything. But over here, he sent him on himself, except for this one little thing you can't do. There might have been other objects, but the idea was talked about the one little idol, the idol that you're not supposed to take. And to me, it's like there's always some temptation. Oh, when you said the garden, I was all of a sudden thinking of, of uh, uh, Gethsemane, but you're talking about Eden. Okay. Yes, the Garden of Eden. And, and, uh, you know, before I uh, finish up here, I wanted to say, you know, my wife and I, we went to uh, to Whataburger this afternoon. She had spent pretty good at the morning at uh, uh, the Golden Estates visiting a lady there. There was somebody else there uh-huh. from from the temple that joined her. But anyway, we're sitting there and in the line at Whataburger, and I'm listening to her voice. And I just turned and said, you have the voice of an angel. And, of course, she says, how do you know what angels sound like? I said, because I, well, I, I had to think quick. I said, because I'm in heaven when I'm with you. But, but, Very but good. Valentine's Day has inspired you, evidently. <laughs> oh, man, I can't catch up. But uh, the thing about what Jacob said, um, and I'm sure everything's open for interpretation, you know, Jesus, Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. I mean, I don't want somebody to have to die for me. It's, you know, it's that. That's another thing. But uh, the fact is, if he would have walked around, I don't understand that. Walked around for three years discussing all this stuff, and then the people didn't believe him. But to me, the way I was raised is the idea was, and like I say, it's not a nice thing to be sacrificed for someone's sins of the world. But that was the whole idea of him coming to me, the way I was raised. Yes. 
And he knew uh, that. So, and he knew that. And, and Jesus was so, aware of that. Right. Yes. He was aware. And if we're talking about the Bible the way it's written, and I mean, Jacob may understand it different. He has that privilege. But uh, I understand it to be that was the way it was meant to be from the day he, Jesus was born. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I sound like a Baptist. I don't know. No, but, no, uh, no. I, I, that was what I was going to bring up as well. That that because that was a little bit of a, an interesting thought. That what what would have happened? And frankly, you could ask that almost at any point in the biblical narrative, because the whole Bible is about. Uh, oh yes, it's about nations and people groups. It's about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and, and Joshua. I mean Joseph down in Egypt and so on and so on. In other words, we know the whole the the, the whole story of the scriptures is there and. It's a redemptive, essentially, you know, we know the details and so on, and they're great lessons right, for all right. of us. But the, the, mm-hmm. the redemptive narrative of the Bible is all about God calling out of the human race a people for himself. The redemptive plan, uh, he has purchased our, our, our redemption our, for himself. We are his people. Here's our God. And so that that was seen from the beginning we understand that the jesus was the lamb sacrificed from before the foundations of the world and so on and so i get what you're saying that if you know that that was god's plan from the beginning but that's what i was getting at when i said to jacob uh that this whole everything has to be seen in that context is that that god is Jacob's observation, well, I think, I think that what you said was very relevant and, and appropriate because what would have happened at any point in time if, if God's people had responded perfectly in faith, and if Adam and Eve had not, if they had obeyed, you know, and so on. Uh, that doesn't mean that their grandchildren might not have obeyed and so on. So a redeemer is like the song said: we still would have needed a redeemer. Well, throughout the history, um, am I on? Yes, you are. No, uh, yes, you are, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, <clears throat> anytime, through the kings, through everything, mm-hmm. there's always these opportunities. Yeah. And there's always an opportunity to return. So if I may apply the story, uh, as I understand it, not nearly as well as you, but of Jesus and the New Testament, then this is, the shall we say, the last step of the story because they didn't make the decision to not sin and obey God's laws. Now, I uh, I think that, to me, that makes the story work. But if indeed, because I'm convinced that when Jesus was walking around, I know this is contrary to some popular Christian thought, but when Jesus was walking around, he was preaching only God's laws. I've researched mm-hmm. a lot of time on this, and I found out, see, the Pharisees, what first struck me when I read the New Testament, I started reading, and they said, oh, this is the Pharisees, and I thought, wait a minute, there's something wrong. And, I, and not one, not one of the rules of the laws the Pharisees are quoting are actually God's laws. Mm-hmm. But Jesus different. got it right. But Jesus was quoting them correctly. And I thought, wow. So I realized he's the one that's teaching God's laws. So mm-hmm. the Pharisees are not teaching the laws. And now, and there's reasons for that, and that's mm-hmm. another issue. But so here's uh, here's what's going on. So I realized, had they had been walking around for three years and saying, look, let me reinstitute these laws. And may I say, in the book of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, mm. and the Word was with God. Why is it is and was? Because in Jewish understanding, that same story appears. Uh, they use... Uh, 
uh, Athro, uh, uh, um, I can't think of it, Athro, um, uh, help me out. Anthropological? That's it, anthropological. Words to explain it. But they say it's like this. So let's say the breath of God is inside of God. Um, and the air has to come up and come out of his mouth. And once those words leaves his mouth, they're independent of him, just like you and I mm-hmm. talking. So we're speaking anthropomagic. I can't say the word tonight. Anthropomagic. You say it. <laughs> Anthropologically. There you go. So we're saying it so we can, <laughs> Adverbial form, so we can right, understand okay. and deal with uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. So, but the point is, um, so when I talk, before I talk, the air and the words, the words are in my mouth, my vocal cords, mm-hmm. the air. They are part of me. Mm-hmm. But when the words leave me, they're now independent of me. Mm-hmm. So, when, and there is those same words actually appear in old Jewish literature about mm. the the word of the Torah was with God, and it was God because the air is inside of him. But to speak, and it says he spoke the world into existence. <clears throat> so, when he did that, what he was doing was. It was leaving. It was independent. Mm-hmm. Now, when I read John, it says the word was God and the word, word was with God. Well, with him would be inside of mm-hmm, him, shall mm-hmm, we say. Mm-hmm. And when he spoke it, now I realize there may be some theological difficulties with this in some sectors, and I appreciate that. It's a metaphor. That's what we're... I mean, it, it's all right. I mean, but So it, when it leaves, and it says, and then in John chapter 1, verse 14, and it said the word became flesh. Flesh, yeah. The word is not Greek. It's Hebrew. The word is Torah. <laughs> the Torah became flesh is what it's saying. And let's say that Jesus became flesh. Mm-hmm, the Torah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's teaching the Torah. Why would he not sin? Because if he incarnate. is the Torah, he didn't sin. We have a university here in the city called the Incarnate Word. You know, <laughs> that's, what that, that's what we're talking about, right, in, in some ways. Well, I, I, I guess what I wanted to tackle, if I could, in the minutes we have, we're talking about. Is Harold gone? Huh? Is Harold gone? Uh, I believe so. Uh, Harold, we do appreciate you calling. Is there another caller on the line? As well, well he, no, he, uh, John was trying to tell us something. Okay. okay. Uh, is there another caller on the line, John? Okay. I can't see. Anyway, John. well, but you want to talk about Rahab? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to. I wanted to kind of put this whole, the whole book of Joshua, uh, if I could, in a context, and I, and I do want to mention what, what, um, um, uh, he, he was just on with me. Uh, Harold? Harold was saying, and what you had said as well, uh, I think that's something that needs to be kind of, if we can, clarified, is that uh, in a given moment, I have often wondered, what if the people of Israel, what if in the time of Jesus, what if the, there had been one of these incredible nationwide revivals and and the the whole country converted and, and the religious leaders and everyone uh, not in some uh, militaristic way uh, you know rise up and rebel against Rome but, but really acknowledged him as Messiah who who tr- went back to to God and forgiveness and the whole bit if there was a genuine embracing of Messiah. Uh, I've often wondered. What, I wonder what would have happened. What would that have ended? Well, the, uh, that has actually, right or wrong, has been addressed in the Talmud, many Jewish writings over thousands of years, it, and that's where I got the idea. They say I don't say. Uh-huh. They say if everything had gone correctly, Joshua would have been the last book in the Bible. Uh, I have to, of course, respectively disagree. 
sure. Because I, no problem. I understand. No, I know you do. But, but I'm just saying that God intended and knew that the redemptive, if his redemptive plan would take place, uh, calling to mankind out of darkness, mm-hmm. out of fallen, sinful human nature, into redemption. In other words, uh, I've often told my children this. Uh, Adam and Eve made essentially the same decision that I made as an eight-year-old boy to trust God and to to uh, be forgiven, trust His grace, His mercy by faith, receive His His the, come into the relationship with God by faith in Him and His provision for me uh, through Messiah. So, uh, in other words, the essential decision that Adam and Eve made, they came toward God from the side of uh, of sinless innocence. They they were perfect. They were sinless. It, but they still had the decision to make uh, because what God desires, he's calling out a people out of the human race. He, he's calling us into a love relationship, a, a, re, a relationship of mutual choice. And so Adam and Eve had the opportunity. They were called to make their choice about God. Do do I desire God, want God, love God? Will I obey God? Will so I trust God? So relate to Rahab, though? Okay. okay. She makes the same decision, but she makes it from the side of a fallen, sinful being. But the decision in in and of itself is the same decision, if you know what I mean. In other words, we're both essentially what Adam and Eve were asked. You know, is they were question about the relationship to God. How are you going to relate to me? Are you going to trust me, obey me, and so on? And they did not make a decision. Rahab, I believe, did. Yeah, she was converted. Did you know that the word zona? In the, from the Hebrew, can mean a prostitute or an innkeeper. Yeah, or an innkeeper. Uh, uh, so it could be a waitress or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, interesting. So if Rahab did it, and Rahab, when her family was saved, because mm-hmm. we know her family too, mm-hmm. then we have a lesson here if we stop and pause. It means that everybody in Jericho could have to. Exactly right. There we have may have the principle to seek the answer for what we're talking about. That's what I was trying to get to, and you've made a great, a beautiful illustration, is that the, the redemptive plan of God is posited on the idea that God is calling out of a fallen race. He's calling fallen, sinful human beings to repentance and to to come by faith uh, in, in the redemptive plan and the Redeemer himself come by faith into the relationship with God. Did, and did so, Rahab ever get married? Yes. Who did she marry? Joshua. How did you know that? You told me. Oh, well, yeah, in Jewish history, that's recorded. They got married. Okay. Uh, no, well, I don't know for sure, but I, I, I was reciting wrong. what you told me. Uh, yeah. If it's wrong, it's wrong, but that's yeah. what the history records. Anyway. Well, uh, she is mentioned in the ancestry yeah, of Jesus. Messiah, yeah. but but not. It's too bad that they don't mention the husband in that ancestry. Yet. Well, they're making a point that you don't have to be Jewish. Yeah, and, and so along with Ruth, I guess right. the yeah. Moabites. So, and that's yeah. why they're there. Uh-huh. But you know, we're talking about, and you talked about during the break about the people conquering the land of Israel. Uh-huh. Well, you know, people say that to me. I always say, well, if I come over to your house and steal your car, you're going to stop me, <laughs> and because. It, this isn't a matter, there's no war that I'm aware of, where God especially, or not, and I don't think the Jews ever went to war over a piece of land other than the land of Israel. And that wasn't a matter of going to war, that was reclaiming what was God's and reclaiming what, what was, was theirs. Given yes. to, well, uh-huh. and, and Jews only have possession, they don't have ownership. 
And that's really the story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira. And uh-huh, uh-huh. So what happens is the, in Deuteronomy, there's a method on how you must conduct a war, even in the land of Israel. Uh-huh. And it's only it's actually listed for seven cities only. And what's interesting is you had to build a road. And anybody that left that road, you'll find if you go back and look in Deuteronomy, I think, I could be wrong, but I think it's chapter 20, but I could be wrong. But if you go back and look, there's a prescription how you conduct this war. And non-combatants were That's given right. the uh, time and the opportunity to not be a part of the battle. And if you did not want to fight, you could leave on this road. And if you stayed on that road and did not divert, you would not be in a fight, you wouldn't be attacked. So they had all the right to leave. They chose not to leave on that road. Now, if you want to make that more than just a physical road, make it symbolic, if it's your prescription, it's your outlining about that they made a choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, and also, it's important to note that this uh, that was mandated, and so we can assume that that took place, that there were these opportunities well, given. We, we know what doesn't take place because uh, everybody gets criticized by God for not doing what they're supposed to do. <laughs> when something didn't happen, that's when you hear the criticism. So we can freely assume that those other things did take place exactly. Okay. Uh, so that that's, that's a detail I think we ought to mention because we're talking about not only Jericho, but they went on to battle other cities and, 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 and so on through this time. And a lot of people have questions about that because we, um, we don't realize that in this world we are going to have to battle. And, and it's not just a matter. I, I talk to basic trainees in the United States Air Force every, every weekend. And today we had to talk about the fact that uh, in our, the lesson I taught was about spiritual warfare, how as believers we have to do battle against the world, and you've the got godless your first world system. example of spiritual warfare with the God, voice of God being in the shofar, going to the, confront the moon god. I know it's so amazing, it really is, and we and the, and the Bible is full of these illustrations and and teaching points that, that God is showing us. Uh, but the point is, is that why do we have an air force? Is because we live in a fallen world, and there are people. Why do we have police? Because there are people who would come and hurt you, would take your possessions, would harm your family. And we know we live in a fallen world. And, 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 and I think the redemptive plan of God from the beginning, the idea of God was that it would be carried out in a fallen world. Uh, it, not everybody's going to embrace Messiah. Not everybody's going to repent in Jericho and in the, in the whole battle uh, be over. Well, you know, it's going to be carried through. In Jericho, there was a curse placed on Jericho. Yes. And I'll just... To who, whoever b- rebuilds those walls. It says, yeah, and Joshua pronounced an oath on Jericho. And it says, cursed by God shall be the man who attempts to rebuild this city of Jericho. Uh, it'll, at the cost of his firstborn, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set its doors. Now, so nobody's supposed to be back in Jericho. But yet we know in the Gospels... Jesus goes back to Jericho. Uh-huh. So, uh, is there a way to resolve that issue, Soapy? Um, well, I don't know. I, you're hitting me kind of cold here. It didn't say don't go back to Jericho. I don't think Jesus was doing anything particularly wrong. That's when he met. That's where he, outside of Jericho is where he healed blind Bartimaeus. And inside Jericho is where he uh, had the, that, that, 
the mini revival where what what was the uh, what was the short Zacchaeus the 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 uh, tax collector was converted and and gave half of his goods to feed the poor and so on so so I I, I can't. I don't think there's anything wrong with him having gone there, but I'm trying to no, think. No, there's nothing wrong. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of. Uh, but whoever, look, he would have. There known, was a curse. I remember. Jesus would have known this curse. I'm surely. Other surely. people knew the curse. Yeah. Uh huh. So these other folks are living there. Uh huh. And they know it's not a good place to live, given its history. Uh huh. And so they're there. Somebody had to rebuild it. And indeed, you'll find some stories in the, I think it's in the Book of Kings. Talking yeah, about when they got the man rebuilt. was named uh, Hiel, H-I-E-L. He rebuilt Jericho. It was about 300 years later. Yeah, yeah. And his two sons did indeed die in the construction of the city. That story's there. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus going back is, and he's healing these, as you say. Uh, Blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus mm-hmm. and uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, yeah. And uh, so he's healing them and helping them. So we might consider this as being that he was healing the curse, perhaps. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, um, that's not disrespectful in the least, I don't think. I mean, it's not particularly controversial. Uh, it's, it's good to be think, thought about. Well, look, we've looked at Joshua. Next week we're going to go on into um, the book of Judges, and we'll move from Joshua into the next period of time. All of Joshua takes place in, like I said, uh, about a 25-year period. Uh, <laughs> I had to sneeze. Sorry about that. Um, and so I wanted to touch these points. Uh, Jericho, Rahab, this uh, this beautiful presentation tonight about the the nature of uh, we we have to remember that the people were ripe for judgment. God had told Abraham four hundred years before that the, by that time when when I bring you out of Egypt, the the this the wickedness and the perversion of this people in the, in Canaan would of the Canaanites would be so great that it would be a time for judgment. And I'm going he's going to use now the people of Israel as an instrument of judgment on the people of Canaan for their wickedness, their perversion, their, their their idolatry and so on, and cruelty. Uh, and these things are well attested to by archaeology and history and so on. And so God is using the people of Israel in this instance as an instrument of, of judgment on the people groups, at the same time fulfilling the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the people to bring them to the land of Israel. Uh, and, of course, you see the redemptive plan go through here. Rahab becomes one of the ancestors of uh, the Messiah centuries later. So it all does tie together. There is a beautiful uh, narrative here for us to follow, even in, in lots of lessons, practical lessons to learn from the book of Joshua. We'll be back next week and go right on in now to the, uh, the book of Judges. And as Jacob always says, always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. Good night, everyone. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show.
Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.